0: We've been doing a long series to the book of 1st John. It's a short book, but it's taken us quite a while to get through it because we're going slowly. Hope that's okay. Uh, it's going to take us several more weeks to get through it. But we are in 1st John chapter 4. Now we have these Bibles in the back bookshelf, and they are the same version we're using to preach from, English Standard Version. If you need a Bible, they're right back there on the bookshelf. If you want to take it home even, you can and keep it. And if you're using one of those Bibles, it's going to be page 961. If you want to use one of those Bibles, please feel free to do that, page 961. Otherwise, you can follow along in your own Bible. We'll be in First John chapter 4, looking at verses 7 to 12. Excuse me, 7 to 11. First John 4, 7 to 11. The theme through the book of First John is for his glory and for our benefit. We get to glorify our great God. What, a, what an amazing privilege that is. And at the same time, he gets to benefit his people. And the same experience in the same book. So that's our theme through the book of 1 John. Our lesson title today is 1 John 4, is God's Glorious Pattern. God's God's Glorious Pattern. And we're going to talk about how important it is to love one another. What have I encouraged you to do through the book of 1 John? Read it. It'll give you homework a lot, but when I do, it's very easy homework. Okay, I'm asking you to read through the book of 1 John once a week. Who's making that a weekly practice and see those hands? First time here last Sunday, she's already doing it. That's how you do it. Read through 1 John once a week. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. You can even have the audio book read to you, so it couldn't be easier. I encourage you to make that a practice if you haven't already. We'll get to the book of 1 John here in a minute, but I typically like to start with an icebreaker, even though Christy did a bang-up job at that already. Um, But some people, sometimes we get questions as a family of 10 with eight children, and the question is often this. How do you do it? How do you do it? They look at our family, they look at the youngness of our family, they look at the size of our family, and they they shriek. And after they shriek, they go, how do you do it? Well, I'm going to let you look behind the curtain today, okay? I'm going to give you the answers to those questions. How do the walkers do it? How do we raise eight kids, 11 and under? Is that okay? You guys are willing to hear some of this, okay? So you know, this is how they do it. Number one is, how do we do bedtime? You can imagine that would take a long process, right? How do you do bedtime for eight children different ages too? Well, this is how we do it. We start at four. We start at 4 p.m. To get them down by eight, it takes four hours. And we use a combination of songs, puppets, and bribes. You asked? I'm telling you, that's how we do it. These are jokes, okay, somewhat, somewhat. Number two, dinner time. How do we do dinner time? Because that's got to take a lot of logistical work. Well, it does. But we've learned a system. We now use a trough and a garden hose. Light up all the food in the trough, kids. Go. And then who's thirsty? We get the hose out and we cover all that at the one time. Wouldn't that be weird? We don't actually do it that way. Number three, bath time. How do we do bath time? How do we keep these kids clean? Well, that is a challenge. We have learned the best way to do that is an assembly line. You guys ever seen cars put together on a conveyor belt? That's how we do it. Station one, get them wet. Station two, get them soapy. Station three, get them the soap off of them. And station four, dry them. And Janine and I are traveling between the stations. Um, An assembly line. Here's number four. How do we do groceries? I mean, imagine that. Groceries for a family of 10. Dennis saw me the other day at the grocery store, sweating, crying. Here's how we do it. We do it with prayer, fasting. And if we fast enough, we don't need groceries. And we send them to Mimi's house. And that's honest. We actually do. When the cupboards are getting low, we just give Mimi a call. Eight kids are on their way over. Number five, how do we sleep? Come on, how do we sleep? What do you think? How do we sleep? What's your answer to that? We don't. Well, we do somewhat, but we do it in shifts. One person sleeps. The other person drinks coffee and cries. And then we we trade. This week was Janine. I get to sleep next week. Number six, how do we get to church? How do you guys think we get to church with a family of ten? How do we do it? Well, we sleep over Saturday night. Right before you get here, we roll up the sleeping bags, put them in the closet. We act like we're all we just got here. That's how we do it. We, can we do that, David? David would know if we did that. Number seven is good behavior. We get asked that a lot: is how do your kids stay somewhat in line? Well, this won't surprise you: is we have shutters for good kids tuna fish for the bad kids and as soon as you learn that system they fall right in line shutters versus tuna fish how do we keep a clean house or a relatively clean house we'll say it that way well this one's really easy we threatened to feed them to the moose now the kids have learned there are no moose in fact i have to tell you a little bit of a story before i before i got going here with today i was absconded um, D- David Merrill came up to me and said, are you willing to go with me on a field trip? And I said, David, where are we going? I'm about ready to go get, get ready to preach. He goes, I found a moose. He found a moose and he said, it's only, it's only a couple minutes from here, right by the exit. So Dave, he held me hostage, put duct tape on me and put me in his van and uh, we went to see the moose. And guess what? He was, gone. But he, was. he was gone. He was gone no moose the legend grows the jokes get funnier (laughs) one of these days i will see a moose maybe number nine is how do we get how do we get time to ourselves janine and i how do we do that there's kids always around us just like christy mentioned there's kids always around us here's how we do it we call up mimi on the phone and invite her over and at the very same time she's driving we leave (laughs) she thinks she's coming over for a nice visit she comes over to find the door open and and the kids climb in on the wall, and we're nowhere to be found, and our passports are gone. <laughs> and lastly, sanity. How do we keep our sanity with eight kids, eleven and under? Well, the answer is quite simple to that one. Something has to give, and that's the one. We aren't we aren't sane anymore. You guys should know that by now. That's the one that gives. Um, hopefully, you guys. T- to, uh, look, uh, to look behind the curtain, hopefully that was intriguing to you. But here's the question we want to transition into our lesson today, is how does God raise his millions of children? How does he do that? Because God has millions of children. How does God raise them? Well, we're going to look at how today. If you have your Bibles, join us in First John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 to 11, and you're going to see a pattern that God gives his children to follow that's really important for our spiritual development. Let's follow along in First John 4, verses 7. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Amen. Our lesson title title is The Glorious Pattern of God. I've I've encouraged you along the way through 1 John is to make sure you keep it in context. Because if you don't keep the Word of God in context, you can end up saying some strange things. The Word of God could say things it never intended to say. And you have to remember this is an entire letter that John is writing to a church. So they would, have read, they would have read this in concession one after another. so we need to do that as well. And we want to read the verses that we talked about last week in order to help us keep it in context. So let's do that very quickly. Last time we were in 1 John 4 verses 2 to 6, and I know that's probably hard to read, but you guys have your own copy of the word before you, so use your own Bible. And this is what John told us. He says, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now in the wor- is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John is going to pick up right where he left off and we're going to talk about how we know the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. Our outline today, if you have your little notes, is this. Number one, the genesis of love. Number two, the validation from love. And number three, the response to love. That's our outline today. Let's start here, the genesis of love. What does the word genesis mean? Beginning. It simply means the beginning. If you read the, the beginning of the Bible, it says in the... Beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, where does love come from? Where does love fall in the picture? We're going to talk about that today. Before we get there, I decided to look up some fun facts about New Hampshire. As you know, I haven't been here even a year yet. I have not crossed my one-year anniversary, and I'm still learning a lot about New Hampshire, including the fact that there are no moose. Um, But I was intrigued by some of these fun facts I found about New Hampshire. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Did you know that New Hampshire was the first state to separate from New- from England, does anyone know that? The first state to say see ya, we're on our own. Doesn't that make sense though, live free or die? Come on, that makes sense. We're the first ones to say see ya to England. We are now New England, thank you very much. Uh, we're also the first state to grow potatoes. Interesting, right? Idaho gets a lot of the credit for potatoes but it all started with New Hampshire. How about this one, the early settlers said it reminded them of Switzerland. Christy, you been to Switzerland? Is there a similarity? okay there you go switzerland is supposed to be one of the most beautiful places on the earth and the early settlers said new hampshire reminded them of switzerland how cool is that uh number four is fishing was the was its first source of income it's also interesting christy brought up the idea of fishing for men well fishing started in america right here in new england right here in new hampshire this one's interesting to me it's the only state that doesn't require you to wear a seatbelt. is that true or a motorcycle helmet. It's like live free and live free. Or- live free and? <laughs> <laughs> we are really taking that death and highlighting that, aren't we? How about we f- we highlight the freedom part? I mean, I, I get it. You want to be free, but s- but seatbelts are kind of important. Let's live free and stay alive if we possibly can. Uh, number f- <laughs> number six. Chicken fingers and paintball were invented in New Hampshire. Did you know that? How do you invent the chicken finger? <laughs> Just fry some chicken, and there it is. But I will say this. Doesn't that sound like an amazing men's ministry event, Joel? Chicken fingers and paintball? We got something there. Put that on the calendar. Anyone who's gone paintballing? Paintball. Okay, not very many. Well, there we go. We need need to form two teams and shoot paint at each other. Because that's how ministry goes. And finally, but, but not last of all, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created in New Hampshire. Who knew that? Teenage Mutant Did you really? I did not know that. That's a very bizarre fact. But I thought it was enough to put up there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were started in New Hampshire. Why do I bring that up? Because where did love start from? We all think love is a good idea, but where did it come from? And the answer is not, not going to surprise you. Of course it came from God. See, in the beginning, it says in our own Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the earth was without form and void. What does that mean when you read that? What did the earth have? Nothing. If something is without form and void, it's nothing. It's darkness. It's blackness. There's nothing there. But what's interesting to me is that something preceded the world. We know someone did, but something did as well. And that idea that we're going to talk about today is love. Love was there before the world was there. Love preceded the world. In fact, you can even say it this way. Love is what founded the world. The very reason we're alive today, the very reason we have breath in our lungs, the very reason we have a purpose, is because love was there before we were there. And I think that's interesting to know. Um, you may be thinking, as you've seen our huge family, is why? Why do they keep having kids? I know people think that a lot. They don't usually say it that way, but why? Why we don't have to have that many kids? Why do we have so many kids? Well, I'm going to tell you the answer to that, and I'm I'm serious in this. We love kids. We love kids. David, do you need to be excused? <laughs> David, David's Bible is reading to him. I don't think you're going to be able to turn it off just by turning it down like that, brother. You tell Siri who's boss, okay? Or Google, whoever that is. Where's the Jeopardy theme? David? I'm not going to compete with this, okay? There we go. Good job. Even though, if you're going to compete, that's the way to do it, right? The Bible? why why do we have so many kids well, the answer is very simple we love kids and we love to love kids we do we love to love children i think that's a special privilege that sadly i don't think this world understands quite like we did once before Is kids are a blessing and a heritage from the lord that's what the scriptures say and we really believe it. we love to have kids so why why such a big family well it's that simple love love somebody loved us and i love to love others i love to love children and that's a special privilege for me and my wife what is love What is love? It seems to be everyone knows this concept of love, but no one knows how to define it. If you look at the idea of love in the dictionary, you get some really bizarre definitions. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a desire. It's something that comes and goes. People sing about love. In fact, the number one topic of songs is love. Did you know that? We sing about love. We put it in our movies. It's in poetry. Love is all over this planet, but yet no one knows how to define it. What is love? And the Bible is very clear on that. Love ends up being the most valued thing in the world and also the most attacked. Did you know that? And it makes sense. The things that are generally the most valuable are the things that the enemy wants to get rid of more than anything. So what does he have to do with love? He has to redefine it. Because he knows it's important to us. He can't just remove love. But if he can redefine love and change it, what it is, then we're going to chase something that we were never intended to. And so we need to remember that, that love is very important to God and very important to our souls and also very important to the world. And they believe that the world wants love. The world thinks love is very important. Let's find out what John says. He says, beloved children of God, let us love one another. Why John? For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Isn't that beautiful? Why love? Why should we love, John? Why is that important to us? Because it's important to God. Because God is love. We're going to find that out here in a little bit. And I really believe that about the world. Everyone wants to be loved. I think if you asked everyone on the streets, everyone in your place of work, everyone in your family, and said, is, it, is love important to you? Is it important for you to be loved? Is it important for you to love one another? Most people, I would say 99 or 99.9 people would say, yes, Absolutely. I want to be loved, and I want those in my life to be loved as well. Why is love so important? Love is so important to the world, and we all agree with that. But where did love come from? Well, we, uh, we know this idea from the Scripture is that it says God is righteous. It says this all over the Scripture, that God is righteous. And what does it mean when that says that? It says that God is right in everything that he does. Did you know that? God never makes an error. He never makes a misstep. He never puts his foot in his mouth. He never has a hasty moment, never has a knee-jerk reaction. Everything that God does is right and pure and holy. And so if John tells us that love comes from God, what does that mean about love? It means love is righteous. Love is right. Love is right. The right kind of love, the way God defines it, is absolutely righteous. If you give your life to love, you give your life to something that is right. And that's something I need to know as as a man of God. I want to know that I'm living my life correctly, living my life according to something that is righteous. We don't have to look too far to find out what that is. We simply have to look at love. The most famous verse in the entire Bible tells us this. It says, For God so loved the world that he did something remarkable. He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That verse teaches us something very profound. God wants us to have eternal life. God does not want us to find condemnation or hell or his wrath. God wants us to have eternal life. Do you believe that about your God? So much so, he took his only begotten son, the one who is just like him, who loves everything that he loves, who is righteous and pure and holy, and he sent him to this earth to take on our sins, to die on a wooden cross, so that you and I could have eternal life. That's how important it is to God. And I think that's an amazing thing to know about our God, is that love began with God. It all started with him and his desires for us. So John says, beloved, let us love one another. And we're going to get back to that. That's going to be point number three. But we're going to focus on the genesis of love right now, for love is from God. If you ever have a discussion about love, point people to that passage right there. Love is from God. Love is not from the world, okay? We did not tell God that love is important. God told us that love is important. And so John says, whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. Now, through the entire book of 1 John, he's been giving us validations for what we actually are. If what we say we are are children of God and Christians and redeemed souls, then John says these things will be true about you. And he says if you want to be born of God or want to know that you're born of God, if you want to know that you're of God, you will love one another. Do you believe in love? You could ask that for your own soul here sitting here today. Do you believe that love is important? Do you believe that love is is profound for this world? Do you believe that you need love in your life? What if you ask that to the world? Do you believe in love? What do you think their answer would be? 100%. Absolutely I do. You know what's interesting about that though? Is that by knowing love they should know the person that love came from. In Romans chapter 1 this is a very famous passage referring to those who say there is no God because there's a whole category of people in our world who claim there is no God, God disagrees. He says in Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, because they know love, because they want love, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their, and foolish in their hearts by saying, there is no God, but cherry picking from God all the things they want. Such as love. We'll take love. We believe in love. We think love is important, but at the same time, we say there's no God. You know what's interesting and maybe even ironic? Is that according to that passage of Scripture, God does not believe in atheists. Isn't that ironic that on the last day they're going to find out that they're the ones that don't exist? Isn't that interesting? When the curtain is pulled back and they're expecting God not to be there, they're there. God is there. But atheists are not, because there is no atheist according to God. They know God. They just suppress God. They take the truth about God, and they they put it underneath a, a, a blanket or a rug, acting like God is not there. But in all reality, they know God is there because they know love. They've tasted of love. They've experienced love. They want love for themselves. They want love for others. Therefore, they are pointing to the fact that God is true. Now, this is a sad picture. I almost didn't put that up there because I didn't want anybody to feel grief, too much grief about this. But we're coming up on the anniversary of this, aren't we? And every year that we come across the anniversary of this, I always think about this. I tend to watch a documentary or something like that on this because it was such a tragic day, wasn't it? Such a tragic day. In fact, it was so tragic, it's almost overwhelming to even think that actually happened on 9-11. But we're coming to one year anniversary of my time here in Littleton. The first time I visited you guys, you guys know what day it was? It was 9-11. It was 9-11. The first time I preached here was 9-11. And it was an easy day to remember because of 9-11. Well, we only lived two hours from New York City growing up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Two hours. So I remember that day feeling very impactful. But you know what's interesting about that day? Why was the day so tragic? Because it's so opposite of love. We all want love. We all think love is important. And then something like that happens, and we're all shocked. Because how could someone be so unloving as to do something like that? The whole world is shocked. Because love makes sense, and that doesn't make sense. And that proves that we know love. It proves that we think love is important, we value love, and we even know where love came from. Because when something like that happens, we all stand up and say, Injustice. That's not right. That shouldn't be. Because love is important. Emily Dickinson, I think a poet, said this. She said, love is everything, and that's all we know about it. Isn't that interesting? Love is everything, and that's all we know about it. Even the world says, without love, what are we? We're nothing. We have nothing. So John teaches us this. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. If you don't know love, you don't know God. If you don't know God, you don't know love because God is love. They're synonymous. God is love. And if you know love, you have experienced God because love doesn't exist without God. Man did not invent love. Love was not an idea we had that had to marinate over thousands of years before we said, yes, we should love one another. We knew it from the beginning. How did we know that from the beginning? Because God is love. It doesn't say God likes love. Does it? doesn't say God even commands love, although he does. That's not what John is telling us today. What is he saying? God is love. God is love. To know love, to experience love, is to know something that comes from God. So if we know this, we know this as well. Now, we may not know it like we should, but every single day you experience love, every single day you can show love, you are proving that God is alive and real and present in this world. Because that was his idea. He founded the world based on love. John says in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest. Do you know what that word means? It means something that's clear or obvious. The love of God was made manifest among us, made clear or obvious among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live him. How do we know love? Because God showed us love. God revealed love. God sent his only son into the world. Someone that didn't deserve anything except glory and riches and fame and exaltation. Someone came down and got the very opposite of that. He got shame and ridicule and rebuke and scorn and punishment on the cross, but he did it so that we would know God, so that we would know love. And John says, "You know love because God made it clear. He made it obvious. He made Himself obvious. He made love obvious. Everyone that knows love knows God. And if you're saying you don't know God, then you're lying, because God made made love clear or obvious to us." Isaiah 53 says it this way: He Jesus was wounded for our transgressions; He Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. We're alive today. We're in this church today. We call ourselves Christians today. We have hope of eternal life one day because Jesus came down and showed us love. He died so that we could live. He was punished so that we could find God's goodness and blessings. It's all thanks to Jesus. So John says, we know love. Love is clear. Love is obvious to us. Love was made manifest because Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's going to be a very important thing for us to know because he's going to call us to obey and follow that pattern. But I told you, today is communion day. Today is the day that we pause to remember what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to do that now. We're going to do that as part of our service. We have two elements, you know, in communion. It's the bread and it's the cup. The bread represents the broken body of our Lord Jesus. And the cup represents the blood that was spilled out from his body for our forgiveness. Our men are going to hand out right now um, little pieces of bread that we're going to partake of. And this is going to symbolize what Jesus did for us on the cross. His body was actually literally broken. We have broken bread. Just like I'm going to symbolize here in a moment. Bread was broken when Jesus had it with his disciples. And the disciples didn't and couldn't understand that the first time Jesus had this supper with them. But after Jesus was crucified and rose again, I know that simple made sense to them. So our men are going to hand out the bread, and then we're going to pause and pray. And I'm going to give you a few extra moments of simple, quiet reflection before our Lord. Because communion is a serious time. It's a time that we're supposed to remember Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And I thought it was a good idea to remember this in the in the context Of what John is telling us today. So, once you get your bread, let's bow in prayer and let's thank the Lord for this bread and this symbol today. Father, it's mysterious to us how the bread and the cup are important, powerful symbols of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. But, Father, we remember what Jesus has done for us today, and that remembrance causes us to worship. That worship causes us to be awakened as we sang about to the concept of love, when we remember the great love that was shown to us. Father, we remember Jesus. We remember that His body was broken on the cross for our sake. His wounds were because of our sins. His death equals our life with You. And Father, without that love, we don't have life today. Jesus is the genesis of love for this world. He is the reason we think love is important. And we remember and we say thank you today for that love. I'm going to give everyone just a few moments of quiet prayer before we partake of this bread. night before Jesus was betrayed he took bread just like I'm taking bread before you here today and Jesus took that bread and he broke it in front of his disciples and I told you I don't know if they understood that symbol that very day but they did that day after he was crucified because Jesus' body was broken and he said this bread is going to represent my body which is broken for you and he said take this bread and eat and do this in remembrance of me let's take this bread now and partake of the Lord We've spoken about the genesis of love, and John's going to talk now about the validation from love because he's been giving us these validations the entire way through the Word of God, through 1 John. Now, I told you there's some very, very bizarre facts about New Hampshire that I thought were interesting. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started here, and so did Paintball. Started right here in New Hampshire. If you want to know about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you got to start in New Hampshire. If you want to know anything about Paintball, you got to start right here in New Hampshire. Where does love begin? We talked about that. Love begins with God. It says love is from God, and then John tells us later, love, God is love. So it comes from Him, but it's also Him. Every time we taste of love, we taste a little bit of God. And so John says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us do what God has done for us. Let us take that pattern that God has given us, and let us show that pattern to other. because whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you think that's important to be born of God and to know God? Do you think there's anything more important than that? Could you take anything else from this world? Would you trade your opportunity to know God and be born of God for anything in this world? And the answer is absolutely, wholeheartedly, no. I'd rather be born of God and know God. In fact, if I had a resume, which I do, and I use that to get this job here, what would I want that resume to say? If you ever made a resume, what you, what's kind of things you put on it? Well, if I was going to have a resume and I was going to care about only a couple things, this is what I would say on it. Born of God. And knows God. Can you think of any two things more important than that? Than for you to know that you are a child of the living God, and for you to know that in the end, when everything is known, when the curtain is pulled back, when judgment day happens, God says, I know them, they're mine. They belong to me. They get to come into my kingdom. Is there anything more important than that? And the answer is absolutely no. You can get a lot of great things from this world. You can get a lot of status and fame and education and great jobs. You can become very, very important in this world. But nothing can elevate you to this concept right here of being born of God and knowing God except when we love. When we love, it is the very validation that we belong to God. John says it this way. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Not intimately. Why, John? Because God is love. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be religious. You cannot have any semblance of spirituality without love. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. There is no religion without love there is no spirituality without christ-like love it does not exist because god is love you can have a lot of spirit physical things without love but you cannot have anything in the other realm in the spiritual realm unless you know love and therefore you know god now who did good in math let's see your math let's see our math experts out there a couple of us okay I did good in algebra. I did really bad in something called trigonometry. Anybody m- remember trigonometry? Trigonometry was a bear. I decided to find a trigonometry equation for you. Now, thankfully, someone's done the hard work for us. I don't know if that's right or not. But doesn't that look like Greek? I mean, look at that. What is, what is even happening up there? I took tri- trigonometry, and I have no idea what that is about. That's a hard equation. Most of us would say that's a hard equation. Trigonometry is a hard math to learn. So it's calculus... Sometimes so is geometry, sometimes so is algebra. There are hard equations in this world. You know what I love? A simple equation. <laughs> Don't you love when someone gives you a simple equation? Now class, what does that equal? 16 plus 21. Who's the brave one? Who said seven? <laughs> we need easier than that. You're the math way, you just told me. What is 16 plus 21? 37. I think that's what he said. 37 that's an easy one right 16 plus 21 is in 37. I like easy equations. Thankfully John knows we need easy equations as people Because complex equations can confuse us. So John gives us a very very easy equation. He says beloved. Let us Love one another for love is from God and whoever loves Has been born of God and knows God now. That's a simple equation, right? That's an equation my five-year-old my four-year-old I believe could even understand Let's break it down just so we all understand exactly what John is saying. He's saying this. Listen, God is love. One of God's attributes, one of his best attributes, is that God is love. And we are recipients of that love every single day that we wake up. God is love. John also tells us that love comes from God. So if we receive love, if we we like love, if we think love is important, we can thank God for that. So therefore, John says this. Anyone born of God must walk in class love isn't that an easy equation that's what john is saying it's that simple if you believe love is important if you believe you want to be with god on the last day then you must think showing love is also important for you well he looks at it from another angle he says in verse eight anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love he gives us another easy equation to make this crystal clear he says from another angle god is love Love comes from God. Therefore, anyone who does not love could not be born of God. So simple, and it's simple on purpose, so we cannot miss it. We cannot say we are linked to God and not walk in Christ-like love. It does not work. John says it does not work. You can't be saved. You can't be a child of God. Unless we're walking in love, we have no validation that we love God and God loves us. We can say it. We can sing about it. We can profess it to this world. But unless we have that pattern flowing out of our life, we could not possibly have any validation that we belong to God. And John wants to make that crystal clear because he doesn't want us confused. He doesn't want us walking in error. He doesn't want us walking in the darkness. He doesn't want us rolling the dice on the last day to say, sure, I belong to God because I've been in church. Or I belong to God because my parents were religious. Or I belong to God because I said a prayer when I was little. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when it's judgment day and God says, stand up to the judgment table, God will say to them, I know you and you know me because you walked in love. And the only reason you walked in love is because you got that from me and you got that from my son. Therefore, it is validated that you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you. Therefore, those not walking in love, who don't belong to God, what should they do? If you're sitting here today and you're not sure about that, going, I don't know if I walk in Christ-like love. Every now and then I show love. Every now and then I'm kind. When the stars align, I like to do things for people. But walking in love, that's another level, isn't it? And if I'm not walking in love, I have no validation that I belong to God. And what should that person do? Should, should they worry? Should they fear? Should they fear? No, that's not the point. They should repent and turn to Jesus. Because that is the whole point of this. The whole point is that we have confidence that we belong to God. And if we're sitting here today like I was in a, as a young 26-year-old man questioning, do I belong to God? I mean, my life isn't matching up. I'm not really living this standard of what the Bible is saying. Could I really belong to God? I found out that I might not belong to God that day. And that's when God said to me, Todd, it's not all doom and gloom. Turn to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Notice his love and start walking in that pattern today. It's very simple because it's simple on purpose because that's how much God loves us. He says in verse 10, then this is love, not that we have loved God. That's not how love originated, is it? We loved God and God goes, wow, I can't believe the amount of love that my people showed to me. Well, then I'm going to send Jesus for them. That's not how this worked, is it? It says in Romans, while we were dead in our sins, or Ephesians, we were dead in our sins. Romans says, while we were enemies of God, that's when Jesus came. Where did love originate from? It originated from God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, big word, The propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, and I don't want us to be confused with big words. We'll define that here in a minute. But God invented love. Guess what we invented? Guess what we're accountable for? Guess what we started? Love originated with God, and murder originated with us. Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not, so he went out in the field... And he killed his brother. Love started with God. Murder started with us. And John wants to make it crystal clear. Love was not our idea. In fact, God loved us from the beginning of the world. And we strayed immediately and said, I'm going to kill people instead. And in 9-11, that's the, they said that again. I think it's a good idea to kill people. So we get credit for murder. And God gets credit for love. But thankfully, that's not how the Bible ends, is it? God is love. We are murderers. Period. Because as my sister so eloquently said, we've been called to fish for men. Somebody fished for us, didn't they? And who was that somebody? It says, for the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. I was lost for a long time. Now I'm found, and it's all a credit to the Lord Jesus Christ, because he came to seek those who were lost. And this is what the world thinks right now. This is what the world thinks is a good idea. Me. That's how the world wakes up. Me. That's how the world functions their day. Me. What do I want out of this life? What do I desire? What kind of things can I experience? Me, 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 me. And you know what that is? That's somebody who's lost. Because that's not how God created the world. If God created the world with, with him in mind only... We're not here. As soon as we sin, we're dead. We're condemned. But God loved, started the world with love, and then he redeemed us all with the concept of love. But if you're you're lost today, that's not the end of the world. That's not the last chapter because the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And there's hope for you today to find that pattern of love and to walk in that pattern. I told you we would define the word propitiate because that's a big word. I decided to look it up in the dictionary. I found this was an interesting definition. I don't know how close it is, but it says, to win or regain the favor, notice, of a God, spirit, or person, by doing something that pleases them. Well, did we propitiate to God? Did we regain the favor of God by doing something that pleases him? Is that how we gained this concept of salvation and eternal life and righteousness? No, John said someone else propitiated for us. Someone that could actually accomplish it. The Lord Jesus Christ. He regained the favor of God for us by doing something that pleases God for us. He gave up his life so that we would have eternal life. And therefore, that makes Jesus our propitiation. The person that we owe credit to every single thing we have in this world. And you remember, if Jesus died on the cross, he said this phrase. He said, it is... Finished, And I believe one of the best translations for that is basically paid in full. I took all their sins, every ounce, every one of them, and I atoned for them on the cross. I propitiated for my people so that they could regain the favor of God by His stripes, by His wounds for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Propitiation really means He bore our Punishment so that we could gain our life with God again and His full righteousness. And that's the second element of communion, isn't it? That our propitiation came down and spilled His blood for our sake. The men now are going to hand out the cup. And even though these symbols are very closely related, they also represent something different. Jesus' body being broken was, was symbolizing our salvation from sin. His blood's being spilled out was representing our forgiveness for the sins that we had already committed. Because it says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus' blood had to be spilled. Thank you, Jerry. And we're going to symbolize that here in a minute as the men pass out the cup. Why don't we bow in prayer? Keep your eyes open so you can grab the cup. God God will understand Let's bow in prayer and thank the Lord for this cup. Father, we are so grateful to be your children. We owe our life to you. We owe our hope to you. Even Jesus didn't come of his own accord, Father. You sent him. You sent your son, your only begotten son to this earth because you loved us that much. Father, help us remember that today. We are loved. We are cherished. We are chosen by the almighty God to be with you forever. That's what you want. That's what your desire is is to have us with you, and therefore you sent your Son to do something remarkable, amazing. To take his holy, spotless, righteous blood and to spill it out, Father. So that all those sins that we've committed, both in full recognition of what we were doing and even in ignorance, Father, all of them would be forgiven and cleansed in your eyes because the debt has been paid in full. Jesus said it is finished on that cross. I have paid for every ounce of their sins. And therefore, we have life with you. And we thank you today for that life. We thank you today for that blood. That is our forgiveness and our hope that we can be chosen by you. We can be with you forever. And Jesus, we remember today what you did and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, when he was with the disciples, took a cup, and he poured it out. And he said, This blood is the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, Take and drink. Let's take and drink right now. Well, we've talked about the genesis of love, we've talked about the validation from love. We have one more before we close. And it's a very simple one and a very brief one. It's the response to love. The response to love. Now, hopefully this passage is so clear, so powerful, it teaches itself. God came, love came from God. God is love. The way that we know that we're of God is when we walk in love. If I asked a child for their response to spiders. Now, if I asked you your response to spiders. Fight or flight. Let's see the fight people. Where's fight spiders to the death? Yeah, they're gonna drown, they're gonna die with a shoe. Where's our flight people? Oh yeah. Really, Sue? That's surprising. Okay. Who else? Who else who else runs away from spiders? Fight or flight? Okay, we got a flight person over here. Flight? 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 Okay. That's okay, because we all have our own phobias, right? If you're not scared of spiders, there's something else you're scared of. Every time there's a spider, there's a response to that spider, at least in our home there is. There's a fight or a flight. I end up being fight guy because I have several flight people in my family. <laughs> so I end up being the one that goes mono a spider-o in the bathroom or wherever. And generally I win because um, I'm bigger. But John's going to basically elicit a response from us. He's going to say, listen, there, there's something I've just taught you, something that you've been reminded of. Probably not something you're learning brand new, but something as a reminder. He says this very simple. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're talking about simple equations here today. If God has so loved us, and he has, we just talked about how he made that manifest clear or obvious to us. John says we should follow God's pattern of love. Amen? We all agree with that? If God so loved us, we all show should love one another. Where's our people that don't like mornings? Oh, we got a lot of them up here in the North Country. Non-morning people. Now what happens when an alarm goes off in the morning for non-morning people? There's a beautiful thing they invented called the snooze button. I, that snooze button is an enabler. You know what that is? That's an enabler. Helps us go back to sleep, when instead we should wake up. I love the snooze button, though. Another five or seven or nine minutes of sleep. Sadly, this happens spiritually, too, though. And I know that because I lived it. God teaches us something, something profound, something that we should know, should be walking in, and we go, "Yes, God, I understand. God, I believe that. God, I just need more time. God, not today, God, maybe tomorrow, God. I got a lot of things to do, God. I'll get back to you another day. Snooze, 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 snooze. The word of God handles this. In Romans chapter thirteen, a passage that I love and am memorized. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, besides this, you know what hour it is. How it is full time, full time, beyond time now for you to wake up from your sleep. Not physical sleep, spiritual sleep. Why, Paul? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Not the moment we trusted in Christ, the moment we see Christ. Our salvation, our full culmination of our salvation is nearer now than it's ever been before. The night is far gone The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Wake up. Wake up. If you've been hitting the spiritual snooze alarm, it's time we wake up. It's time we respond. It's time we remember the great love of God and we say, yes, God, it's time for me to walk in that love. this is why we sang this song today, because I really believe this statement. I believe the love of God awakens our souls. If you're dead today, if you're not alive today, if you're not walking with Christ today, the love of God will awaken you to say, child, I love you. I set my son for you. I want you, I want you with me. I want you to have eternal life. I don't want you to belong to the devil anymore. I don't want you to have darkness and gloom and sadness and disease. And anxiety anymore, I want you to have full restoration of your soul. And you could have it this very day simply by waking up and saying yes to Jesus. Here's another favorite passage of mine, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Paul just hits us straight just like John does. He says, listen, the love of, life contro- the love of Christ controls us. It compels us, it urges us, it constrains us. The love of Christ, once you understand the love of Christ, it controls you and compels you to do something remarkable. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. In the eyes of God, we've, all, we've already died for our sins, thanks to Jesus, because he died for all of us. And he died for all, that those who live, who are now alive, might no longer live for themselves We've spent enough of our time on this earth living for ourselves, haven't we? We've spent enough time chasing our own desires, our own dreams, our own happiness. We've spent enough time being asleep spiritually. Paul says, no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. At what point do we stop just receiving love and start giving love? Yes to God's love. Everyone will say that, but when do we start saying yes to loving God and loving His people? And that's really what I think John is trying to bring out. Change from loving self to start loving Christ. And I remember that season in my life so profoundly because every single part of my life changed. Everything. I simply said yes. I simply stopped hitting the snooze and I said, God, whatever you want is what I want to. And God said Get up, Todd. I have something for you to do. You're eventually going to find yourself in New Hampshire, seeing no moose. (laughs) But it's a sacrifice, because you love me. No, of course, it was more profound than that. But for the last 15 years, I've been loving that Christ, because I remember when he said to me, Todd, I have loved you so deeply, so profoundly, so eternally, that what is your response to that? And I said, yes, God, I will love you as well. John says, beloved, if God so loved us, so simple, we should love one another. Not think love is a good idea, that's not enough. We all think love is a good idea. If I polled this audience, 100% of you would say, yes, love is a good idea. That's not what John is asking for. He thinks the whole world already thinks that. He says, beloved, if God so loved, loved, loved us, we also ought to love one another. How did God love us? He sacrificed for us. How do we love one another? We sacrifice for one another. It's the same pattern that God gave us. Do you believe in love? Do you believe you want love? Do you believe you need love? Do you think love is important? I believe we all do. Jesus said this, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's a simple equation. It's a simple pattern, but it's a profound pattern. In every lesson at 1 John, we find something that glorifies God's great name and at the same time benefits our soul. We do that one more time as we look at 1 John 4. God is glorified when we follow his pattern of love and prove that we desire to be be as he is, excuse me, to be just like our God. I'm telling you, that is such a delight when my children say, I want to be like my dad. Or I want to be like my mom. I want to to follow in my parents' footsteps. It's such a delight to see your children say that. How much of a delight is it for us to say to God, I not only want your love, I want to be like you, God. I want to do what you did for me to others. My sister is a hero to me because of that reason. Because when everything in her life was not sorted out, she did not wait for God to figure her life out. She said, God, you loved me, and I want to love you too. And she left and went across the world to do that. It's an amazing thing. But we are also benefited. We don't have to choose between the two. We are benefited when we validate that we belong to God by following that pattern of love. And that's what it is. It's a validation. We don't earn the love of God, do we? We have the love of God. We validate that we know the love of God when we say yes to that pattern. That's how God. And God wants us to know that, have that validation, have that assurance that we are His and He is ours, and we know it today. We sleep on our pillow with that confidence simply because we say yes to that pattern. What's the point of our lesson today? It's very simple. Very, very simple. There is no more proper response to God's love given to us through Jesus than to take that exact pattern and return that love back to God through Jesus by following Him, by loving those He loves the most. His people. I tell you, if you want to love the walkers, if you want to love me, your pastor, love my children and love my wife. When you love them, you love me when we love the children of God, when we love the people of God, when we love even the people that God created, we love the God who created them. And the question I have to ask you before we close today is, do you really know God? Because I claimed to for most of my life, but I didn't have the validation. Do you really know God? Have you said yes to his pattern? of walking in love just as he loved you. And I have to ask that to your soul because someone asked it to my soul. And the answer was a little alarming. I didn't at that time really know God. Today I do. All glory to God. Do you really know God? Because if you don't, that can change this very hour, this very day. can be the day of your salvation, the day you turn around and stop serving self and start serving Christ. Stop sleeping spiritually and start doing something for the kingdom and the glory of God, which will last forever and ever and ever and ever. It's the glorious pattern of God, which is all about love. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, there's nothing we can do except say thank you. Because all we do to this plan is say yes to it. And then we respond properly to it. We don't earn it. We don't win it. We don't buy it. Father, it is simply a gift of your great grace to us that you loved us even when we were enemies of God, even when we were sinners, even when we were dead in our sins. And Father, we simply say thank you today and remember what Jesus has done for us. But we also remember something else, that you have called us to be fishers of men. You have called us to follow this pattern of love. You have called us to seek out those who are hurting, to sacrifice for those who need love. And Father, help us remember that pattern is important for our souls so that we know we belong to you and we have the privilege of being like you. Father, help Crossroads Church continue on in this pattern for your glory, for our benefit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.